This is the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson. Before we get into the show today, make sure to check out my offerings uh, on the link in my bio on Instagram at Jack underscore Anderson III. There you will find all of my YouTube presentations, free ebook, Quadrant Training, all my podcast episodes, blog, and various articles that I've written for Team Builder. You can also find there my Quadrant Training Sprint Program, uh, which is for sale via the link in my bio on Instagram. If you're interested in developing sprint mechanics and speed while maintaining strength and understanding how to consolidate stressors properly throughout the week, this program is for you. Uh, make sure you check it out. And of course, your feedback is always appreciated on these various projects of mine so I can make your educational experience even better in future projects. On the show today, we are joined by Coach Brajesh Patel, who is the head strength and conditioning coach at Quinnipiac University. Brajesh has been in that role since August 2008, so he's accumulated a ton of experience working at a very high level with men's and women's basketball Quinnipiac in addition to the ice hockey teams there. He also oversees the entire strength and conditioning department for all 21 varsity sports. Ironically, this was the first time I ever talked to Rajesh, which is funny because I know a ton of people that have been mentored by him um, and have heard nothing but good things in terms of the experience and knowledge that he brings to the table. And this chat was absolutely outstanding. One of my favorites that I've had. In this episode, we discuss quadrant training, which is something Brajesh implemented last year, which is great because it's only something that I've kind of conceptualized without putting as much practical application into. So we have a great uh, discussion about quadrants, communicating the thought process of the quadrants to the coaches in order to consolidate stressors between training and practice loads accordingly. Special thanks to Rajesh for coming on. It was super late East Coast time when he popped on. He gave me a, nearly a full hour of amazing material, and I know you'll all enjoy it. Without further ado, let's get right to it. This is Rajesh Patel. Rajesh, thanks a lot, man, for coming on to the show. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know it's late for you as well, so we'll try to we'll try to make this thing as, as quick as possible, but try to get the people uh, some information on some stuff. So thanks a lot for coming on. Jack, thanks for having me on. I look forward to speaking with you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know what we had talked about originally, I know you had downloaded and read my, my quadrant training book. And um, I, for me, it's all been very conceptual. I haven't done a lot of like actual practical application of it yet. And I, I know you had said you had. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing what your last year has been like using that and just maybe giving a brief overview of, of what you're doing for, uh, for the listeners. Yeah, so, um, so we... I'll tell you a little bit about how this all kind of started. So I'm not sure if you're aware, um, the NCAA last summer put out a paper um, called, um, it was on catastrophic um, injuries and sudden deaths is what the name of the paper was called. And it was put out by the Sports Science Institute. And it basically a lot of it came, came about from the football issue of Maryland and, um, and the deaths that they had there. And, and so what started to happen is, is, NCAA said that we need to have a little bit more um, constraints on, on top of training and coaches and strength conditioning coaches and practices and specifically football and, and heat acclimatization and all these types of things. And so they put down some guidelines and some standards and the, and the NSCA and the CSCCA followed suit and basically put out recommended guidelines on how to return from activity. Um, if you've got a new coach, if you've got somebody coming from a coming back from um, rhabdo, if you've got somebody coming back from an injury, and if you've got um, student athletes coming back from long layoffs, so what we did is um, we got the idea from Daniel Bove actually put it out with the Suns, and that's where I first saw it. And in when I say it, like the, the quadrant type methodology. And I love the concept of, of intensity and stress and balancing it out because we've looked at different types of um, technology to be able to use with our coaches and student athletes about like, you know, how to, how to track their RPEs and some subjective, um, subjective training load scores. And, um, you know, it's been a hit or miss, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's like running kids down and chasing them down to make sure that they input what they're supposed to input or give us the feedback they were supposed to get. Um, and we as coaches 
try to relate, relay that information back to our sport coaches that we work with. Um, so after this paper came out and the recommendations came out and I, and I learned this, the quadrants from Daniel Bove, I said, you know what, like to our staff, we need to be able to speak this language because I think it's really simple and it's really easy for us to be able to impress upon our coaches and how to communicate. Or if we ask, like, hey, coach, what's today going to look like? Or what's this week going to look like? Um, when we broke it down to them, we basically said, is there going to be a high day or a low day? That's, all, that's really all you need to tell us. And I told them, listen, like we always want to have a fairly high intensity because we want to be able to replicate our skills um, at game-like speeds, right? And so that's, that's – we always said we want to make sure that we're going at a high intensity in terms of practice. The biggest thing I try to get through to them is, is listen, the biggest indicator in injuries or kind of any, any kind of overreaching or overtraining is going to be volume. If we can have a good handle on what our volume is going to be, um, that's going to help us keep, stay a little bit healthier, and it's going to allow us to be able to plan um, to be our best throughout the season. No, I, I think that's great. And, and so in implementing it, uh, I, I think the biggest thing you even said was this the simple language that it allows us to relate back to sport coaches. I know myself, like I can get caught up in the weeds very easily. So it really kind of, simplified things for me when communicating with just various people that I work with that have other training loads going on outside of like my physical training for them. And I was just wondering, so how, how did it go in the first year? Um, what can you work on? Like, just kind of give me an overview of like how you think it went. Yeah. Can I share my screen? Does that pop up for you? Uh, hold on. Let me give you permission. I can, I can do that. Give me a sec. Just yeah, go ahead. Share. Go ahead. Yep. So there's a couple things that um, I think may help clarify things just a little bit. And so, so first is what we really try to impress upon our student athletes is, is um, RPE. Like just, just tell us like, you know, how hard is, how hard do you think today was? And so I try to get through to our coaches, like, listen, like this is going to be, um, this is going to give us some very valuable information. You may, when you design practice, you may think it's going to be easy day or a moderate day, but the kids might think it's like really hard, you know, and, and that's going to factor into what we do tomorrow. And that's going to factor into the next day and just getting them to understand about the concept of cumulative fatigue and the cumulative stress, I think is a, um, is a tough one for most sport coaches to understand if, because most of them have never had any kind of classical um, education in terms of, of, of periodization and planning and exercise physiology and, and understanding stressors. You know, they're experts in their sports and, and it's specifically in the tactical and, and technical realm. They don't really have any kind of um, education in regards to the physical realm. Um, so that's what I really try to get through to them. And so we at Quinnipiac have kind of made this a simple RPE scale. Like I'm not a big fan of like one to 10 because I would, how do you differentiate between seven and eight? You know what I mean? So uh, you really don't. So a simple scale for us, it was five, four, three, two, one, five is going to be very hard. Four is hard. Three is average. Two is light and one's easy. You know, and I taught, and this is the language we use in the weight room. Like I'll say, all right, we're going to do tempo runs today and it should be around a three. You know what I mean? Or we're going to do, um, we're going to do today's, today's, um, heavy set on squat or trap bar bench is should be a three. It should be moderately hard, but you should get all the reps. It shouldn't be too bad. Maybe in the next week, it's going to be like a four in the last week. I want you to go to a five, you know, so we can kind of, we speak that language within the weight room and all we're trying to do is try to get, speak that same language to our coaches. And so we basically use those colors and kind of mapped it onto this kind of quadrant where volume is our Y axis and then intensity is our X axis. And the quadrants I use are a little bit different than yours numbered wise. Um, we just go one, two, three, four. Um, and we're really looking at, um, you know, three and four is going to be higher on the neural end. And we're just going to look at, you know, different tissue stress, um, whether it be high or low. And then one and two is going to be a little bit lower on the intensity side. And, and then we're just going to look at volume and volume on that side. So what we try to really get them to understand is listen, like most of your practices should be in the threes and fours but I, you can't live in four all the time. If we know we're going to play two or three games this week, or we get like basketball, for example, we've got to play three games in eight days. And we know those games are going to be fours. Let's manage the other days. So we know where we are. So we can, so we can be our best for those games. 
you know, it's a concept like Fergus Connolly likes to, likes to say in, in tactical periodization is almost like reverse engineering the game. Like we want to know where we have our games and then kind of work backwards in terms of how we're going to um, program loads and how we're going to be able to program or prescribe practice. And like, I don't get involved in, in, in writing up a practice plan, but from a kind of like a stress manager's perspective, I'll often ask our coaches, what do you, what do you think you're going to do today? Is it going to be high or is it going to be a low day? And they'll be like, Oh, I'm going to low, I'm going to go medium or loaded. I'm like, okay. You know, and we might not even train that day within the weight room, but at least I'll have an idea of where they're going to be, you know? And so for us, we've been able to use some of this language, I think coming after this coronavirus and COVID situation where we haven't seen our student athletes for a long time, I think it's going to be even more important that we can communicate the same language just a little bit more. Um, and like, I'm not married to this. Like if a coach has like, you know, some of our programs are really good with monitoring load and, and understanding how to program and plan practice. Like it's not something we're going to hold them to um, because they might have a system that works better for them. And even for me, like, I, you know, we're still learning how to implement this system across um, a variety of different sports. And, you know, everybody's got their own ways and the way they do things, but we just want to make sure that hey, can we do things just a little bit better for the best interest of the, of the student athletes that we get to work with. And, and in the least, even if um, you have uh, teams that might not be as receptive to this for you, it gives you, you and your staff kind of a cohesive look at what you can do in a weight room while talking to the coach in their language, right? You can relate it back, translate it back into the quadrant language and figure out what you need to do in terms of your own training intensities and volumes in cohesion with the sport, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing is just getting everybody on the same page and be able to speak similar languages. So we know where everybody's coming from because we're, it's, it's not about me and it's not about the coach. It's not about whoever else is involved. It's about us being our best so we can give the best program to the student athlete. Um, in season, how do you, so like I've thought about this a ton and again, this is where I haven't been able to practically apply it uh, since I wrote it, but in season, how do you feel about, um, you know, for example, a, a, for me, it's a quadrant two. I'm trying to think for you. I think it's a quadrant four. So like your high, high volume, high intensity days. Are those ever happening in season from a physical training, like strength and conditioning side? Or are you never really touching that kind of? No, no. So in season, my philosophy is kind of do the opposite of the sport. And so in sport, it tends to be, so we talk about sports, it tends to be high volume, low load because they're only using your body weight. And that tends to be short amplitude, meaning that they do their movements through a really small range of, range of motion. So what we try to do in the, in the weight room is balance that out. So we're going to do lower volume, higher loads, and higher range of motion, higher amplitude movements. So try to maintain their mobility and range of motion as much as we can. Because one thing I've noticed over the course of the season is student athletes and athletes in general lose range of motion throughout the season. So we want to make sure because like number, our number one priority is health and keeping them healthy. So mobility is a big thing that we want to make sure that they have throughout the season so that they have accessible range of motions and their control over it. So that's the way we look at things. So we'll never do a quadrant four day in the off season unless we're working with a red shirt, transfer, or anybody who's um, working back to a return to play situation. So anybody that's healthy, that's in the lineup, that's um, – that's going through regular practice they'll probably new, never do quadrant four activities because they're going to get that when they play. So for us, it'll be primarily um, one and three. So low volume. So we're going to live in low volume. So it might be recovery and regeneration or some um, light, maybe flush work, um, bodybuilding methods. You know what I mean? Like concentric work, or we might do um, some higher load type activities, but really low volume. Well, um, so when I look at these, and I, that's kind of how I've thought about it too, but when I look at the higher loads, uh, lower volume, for example, I almost see that as like a, a primer to start my week. Like I'm not sure. I noticed, I remember you were showing me some stuff where you were a few days out from competition, and I know you're probably layering that in there. So I almost see that like as a primer day, and then you go over to the other side of things, and you talk about like this regeneration. Not a straight day where you do nothing but foam roll, but a day where you get maybe some sort of low-level body weight circuit or 
like you said, some bodybuilding type stuff where we get a little bit of volume, but absolutely zero intensity out of it for the most part. Like, are you seeing that as a, as something you can use to prime a player too? Do you see some athletes that like, like prefer to do that before a game or is that strictly something you use like post game after like a really high intensity event? Well, there's, they're a little different, right? So we can do some high neural type stuff for a low amount of volume to prime and potentiate the system. Um, but we can also use some like, you know, some of the bodybuilding concentric kind of flush type stuff that would live in a quadrant one type activity. And that can, you know, that can provide some different benefits. It could be mental, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes it, like somebody didn't have a good game and they just, they want to do work, but we're going to give them work that's very low eccentric kind of stress in nature. So we're not going to create any kind of soreness, but it's going to make them feel like they did something which sometimes mentally can benefit them. Um, that's like typically when we'll do, um, like post-workout games with, with our hockey team, like, um, at their request, um, I never give them any exercises with a big eccentric component because we just played a game, you know, and, and it's usually after back-to-back games. So Friday, Saturday at home, like a Saturday game. So it's going to be a lot of things that are just really concentric based to so got bring blood flow in there. It's actually going to facilitate some recovery. And that's some of the feedback that they've often said is that they felt better going into a Monday when they do those Saturday night workouts. Um, and then like the quadrant type quadrant three type stuff, that's a little bit more high neural um, is really acceleration works and plyometrics. Um, and it, we do those the day before a game we'll do in the morning of a game. Um, well, some guys will do it right. Some guys and our girls will do it right before, um, they start to get dressed, like they go in the locker room. So, um, it's, but the big thing is it's really low volume, right? Cause you can, those things like sprints and jumps, I think you can easily overdo, but we've kind of found a really good sweet spot. And I think that's where it all comes down to, too, is like, if you look at prolipin stable, it's not like you've got high, medium, low in terms of volumes and ideal structures. And I think we, we kind of live in that optimal world and we'd rather do less of it than overdo it. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's really, it's just trying to improve their intermuscular and intramuscular coordination so that they can coordinate, right. And they can recruit some higher threshold motor units before they go do their activity. Yeah. And I've, I found that from just personal experience. And then a few people I've like used this on is, is like, you can limit it, limit like a quadrant three day to something like, you pick like you're going to do 12 jumps. You pick some jump variation, 12 jumps, uh, like maybe nine, you know, you know, trap bar jumps or, or five, 10 yard accelerations. And like, that's all. And I don't even know, maybe that's even more than you're thinking, but like, I found that, yeah, if you err on that lower side, it really primes you pretty well for like whatever the task at hand is either the next day or the day of. Yeah. Like we'll, we often do these things. We call them like neural charge circuits, which are awesome potentiation. We just do it for time. And we'll never go above two or three reps. And so we'll, we'll, we usually set it up like in, in um, a, a grouping of four exercises. So we'll do some sort of jump. So a double leg jump. It could be like a box jump. It could be a squat jump, whatever it may be. So, um, a just, sorry, a jump or a hop. So it could be like a you know, single leg hop over hurdles or lateral, whatever it may be. And then we'll do some sort of med ball throw for two or three reps. The jumps are two or three. Um, and then we'll go back and we'll do some sort of bound for two to four, two to three reps. And then we'll do another med ball throw for two to three reps. And we'll go for like six to 10 minutes. We'll put time on the clock. And what you start to notice is sometimes you may feel sluggish. Like you're just starting a day or starting a session. You might be a little fatigued. And so what we tell our athletes is literally walk from exercise to exercise. Um, we're just going to go for time. So we're just trying to accumulate as many good quality reps as we can. And we're not doing it for three sets or four sets or five sets. We're just going to do it like maybe, maybe you'll get eight sets. Maybe if you're feeling real good, maybe you'll get like 12 sets. You know, like it's just really just trying to accumulate, um, to, to accumulate volume over the course of that time. Like it's escalating density type work. But really just you're going to go, you're going to auto-regulate based on how you feel. And what starts to happen and the feedback that we often get is they start to feel really good and they're just woken up. All we did is just prime their nervous system, you know but we did it with really low load activities, but a high velocity. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that. I think the more I've, the more I've kind of played around with similar stuff, I found it to be really helpful uh, for myself. So yeah, I, I, I like where you're going with that for sure. Um, when we talk about um, uh, strength decay or something like that, for example, what are you doing? Uh, like where are you kind of falling along the lines of that? Like, 
I guess it's good for hockey, especially in college. It feels like you guys have a pretty structured schedule in terms of you're always playing Friday and Saturday. So that makes it a little bit easier than like the pro side of things, for example. Like I've heard Eric Renahan kind of talk about how he's got to squeeze in certain training stimuluses like wherever he can just because of the, the nature of the beast in the NHL. But for you with the established schedule, do you feel like those are things you can touch on at pretty low volume still uh, at some point during your week? Yeah, it's in, in college hockey, it's – it lends for a really good training schedule. It's kind of like, like football or cross where you're playing one game a week. It's really nice. Like, so we like to make sure we distribute our stress over the course of the week. So we'll often train twice a week, Monday and Wednesday, and then we'll play Friday, Saturday. So Monday tends to be our day. That's going to be a little bit more, a little higher volume in nature. It's going to be a little bit more intensive. We're going to load that, but that day a little bit more. And we'll do two, two full body training sessions, but that's where we'll get our loading in um, for the lower body primarily. And then when we get to our Wednesday, it's almost like a potentiation lift. Uh, it tends to be a little bit more upper body because our upper body can recover quicker. Um, but we'll do some speed and power activity type stuff that day. And then Thursday, um, it's not mandatory, but a lot of our guys will come in. Um, for, for our women's team, it is mandatory. We'll do a pre-practice warm-up, which is just what I said. It's just like a, it's a neural charge. Like we'll warm up, um, try to get them going. We'll do some loosen up stuff, and then um, we'll do six minutes. Of, of a neural charge circuit we'll, we'll put some sprints and accelerations in there too um, but for our men's team will often come in on their own like pre-practice and do some speed work um yeah no I, on game days do you guys do any of that like neural charge stuff do some of the teams like doing that or have you not really messed with that no we have like um sorry i don't know if i finished but, but like so going back to like the strength decay thing like what we found oh, yeah. <laughs> it, i didn't even get to finish that part, <laughs> you're good you're is, good <laughs> is um is our kids actually get stronger in season, you know, and that's a concept that I, you know, that I think a lot of people always say is we want to maintain in season. Like sometimes coaches say that too. I'm like, we don't want to maintain. Like if your average is a hundred, like why the, why the hell would you want to maintain being a, being a hundred? Like, why would you not try to get better? And that's kind of like our mentality and our mantra with everything that we do is really trying to impress upon them. Let's find ways to get better. You know, 1% better each and every single day. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but just find a way to improve. Uh, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, individually, collectively, just find a way that you can improve and get better. Um, but we do it in a really smart way that we're not going to trash them for practice. So we're smart with the volume that we prescribe and we're, we're smart with like trying to balance it around travel schedules. And if we're coming off a road trip or do we play a physical opponent, like we'll, we'll, we'll adapt and we'll monitor and we'll do those types of things. But what we've noticed is that our strength improves over the course of the year, because I've told, I tell our athletes, like we want to be, our fastest and most powerful at the end of the year when they're handing out trophies. It doesn't matter for like that November and December, like we need to do that in March and April. So, and it, it, so what we found is a lot of our kids will test better at the end of the season. And, you know, especially vertical jumps, vertical jumps, like some kids will set PRs at the end of the year in playoffs. So do you think part of that, like I, I've heard, from others that you you train your athletes very hard in the off season. Do you think some of that could just be like tapering off the volume in season and having it almost be like a super compensation thing? Oh, or do you yeah. think it's like, you think it's, I, I'm sure it's multifaceted. Do you think it's more primarily like what you're selecting to do in season with them? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I think, I don't know if the, we're going to get the residual gains from the off season when our off season program ends in August the following March. Like, I, I don't think that, that you're going to get that much of a lag. Um, but I do notice that once we do remove some of that, that stress from the off season, for sure. Um, we get, we, our athletes can handle a pretty good amount of volume in the early half of the season. And, that, and that my philosophy, I think an off season, just a little bit different. Like I, like, I think a lot of coaches like to espouse minimal effective dose and I, minimal effective dose doesn't cause stress to the system. And the only way the system is going to be able to adapt or the organism is going to adapt is going to be able to, you've got to stress the system to cause an adaptation. And in season, I think minimal effective dose and microdosing are great methodologies to be able to use. But in the off season, like that's not, again, depends on your sport. If you're dealing with basketball, who's playing year round, then I think that's probably an effective strategy to be able to use. But like for an ice hockey team, football team, lacrosse team, maybe because they're not going to practice all the time. Like it's hard to get a pickup game of 11 on 11 football or hockey, if you don't have access to ice, like you're just going to train, you know? I mean, so, that's an amazing point because yeah, basketball is so different in that sense where they're playing all the time, no matter what. And yeah, 
and these other sports, like you, like you said, they're just, you're not getting that same kind of load tech, no. tactical and technical load in the off season. No. So you can give a, a good amount of physical stress. And, and what I've found is that um, when we've, cause I've tried different models and when we went to a, um, a model where we, we train an hour a day and we try to distribute stress over the course of the year, our athletes didn't feel the same when they got to the season. Whereas when we build up work capacity gradually over the course of the year, and we'll have some of our off season workouts are 90 minutes, like an hour and 45 minutes, like they're long sessions, but it's not like that every day, but, the, but they're long sessions and just trying to accumulate stress and try to make them feel, excuse me, but sometimes I'll say this week's going to make you feel shitty. Like this is a make you feel shitty week. Like, just know next week we're going to back off, but like this week is going to be a grind and you just got to be able to push through and just know that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel, but you're not going to feel good this week. And there, and I explain the reason why. Um, but the biggest thing is get them to understand, listen, like we want to get to the season. We can handle going six days a week for two plus hours a day. And it's nothing plus go to class and do all these types of things and handle all these stressors. And you're going to be fine. Like we, but the only way that a human body be able to adapt to that is you've got to stress the system. So I find this fascinating because obviously you've been at Quinnipiac for a long time and you've established, um, you know, a culture there where I think even younger people, younger pe people with younger training ages are going to kind of just fall in line with what the culture is, I think. And, and, you know, testament to you guys for, for setting that up. But um, let's say you're in a situation that's maybe not, you know, maybe even when you first got to Quinnipiac or something like that, where, you want to impose all this stress, but you just don't have people that are either maybe great movers. They don't train well in the gym. They're not used to training the way that you want them to train. Like, how do you feel you can get them to that point where when it's time to perform in the gym, they can perform at a high level and you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, any, you know, any health concerns or anything like that. If that makes sense. Well, it takes time. You know, like that, that's the same thing with our freshmen who come in or first years who come into their program. We don't give them the same program that our upperclassmen or our veterans do like they, they just will not be able to handle it. Like they're, they're cooked after a warm up, like in, so they're not going to be able to tolerate the same kind of load because they don't have the same work capacity. And so work capacity is something that improves month to month and year to year, you know, and, and they to compare a work capacity of, of a incoming freshman at 18 to 20 years old to um, a senior who's, you know, 21 to 23, 24 years old, sometimes with some of our males, like that's, it's not even close, you know? And so we don't expect them to be able to do the same amount of work. So their program is going to be tailored just a little bit different. And like their first, you know, three weeks to four weeks of their training program is probably closer to 45 to 50 minutes, which is what maybe like a, like a early off season type session might look like, or some maybe early in season session might look like as well. Um, and then we'll just gradually increase volume by just giving them a little bit more um, volume and by adding components to their program and slowly try to build their work capacity over the course of time to the point where they can, where they can handle in season, you know, and, and that's one thing we've always know we've kind of really recognized is the kids um, who wind up with like any kind of like soft tissue stuff at the, at the beginning of the season, it tends to always be first years and freshmen because they can't handle the, the basically the stress of skating, you know, at the pace at which we skate. So um, to change the subject just a little bit on this, you, we were talking about neural priming too, and I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit on RPR as well. Um, I know you've used it extensively. I, I take the level, took level one course. I've used it a fair bit myself. Um, two things I've noticed in the like year and a half that I've been using it um, and I'm not, I, I'm not sure if, you know, this is a good thing or a bad thing, but do you see diminishing returns on the use of RPR for people in terms of like reaching a performance state, quote unquote, uh, when it is utilized? Or do you think that um, the reason it might not feel quite so uh, like effective over time is just because the patterns that you're kind of putting in there are like starting to just become ingrained within the person. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, I think, I think you're, you're, the second response, I think, is probably a little bit more accurate. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think that it wears off because um, there are points, right? And so, like, I've, I've dug deep into this, and um, I don't know if you've talked to Joe about this, too, but, like, when he was at Quinnipiac, like, we dug deep into this, and, you know, we'd, we'd research and we'd find different things. And um, our PR 
I don't know why they don't really tell you this, but really it's a, it's a combination of um, neurolymphatic points, neurovascular points, um, acu acupuncture points, fascial points, trigger points, and it's combined into a system that's, that's reproducible and that can give you a lot of information, especially when you get to like some level two, two stuff and you start to peel back layers and where people might be um, compensating from. And that, that's really what it is. It's, it, you know, and they tell you this too, is the human body is meant to breathe and meant to move. And, and we can get really good at compensating how we breathe and we can get really good at compensating how we move. Um, it doesn't mean that we're going to move in the most efficient ways all the time throughout, throughout life. Uh, we want to, but our body and our brains will ultimately figure out a different path if we're not doing it the right way. If we're, if we're, if our, if our lymph isn't moving the right way, it can easily create congestion, which is going to affect and alter your fascia, which is going to affect and alter your gait. So there's lots of different things that are going to start to happen here. And a lot of it really comes down to stress and how you handle stress. You know, it, it, you could have gotten a reset and you could have been feeling great and you drive in a car and if somebody cuts you off and you're stressed about it and how you handle that, you can get completely thrown off. Like your firing patterns could be completely thrown off. Like you could have been, you could have been great, right? You could have been like for us, like we're about to go into playoffs, you know, for our hockey team and we were ready and we were peaking at the right time and coronavirus happens and everything ends, you know, and, and, you know, what we really try to get get across to them is like, listen, like this, a lot of this stuff's out of your control. The things that you can control are number one, establish your routine, right? Because we're, we're creatures of habit. So we've got to be able to make sure we establish our, our, uh, our routine as quickly as we can when we're at home. Um, two, we need to be able to be stay positive. Um, three, we need to be able to connect with our team. And then four, we've got to enjoy the time that we have with our family because we might not get that time back. Right. And so just making really good use of that time. So we, so when we talk about stress and really be able to control your, your mind state, it's about focusing on the controllables and really getting you to understand um, how you can control that. Um, and a lot of that comes with your breath work too, because by breathing, you can really focus in on the present moment, right? right? When you take some deep um, diaphragmatic breaths, but really are engaged and aware when you breathe, like, everything else kind of clears itself. It's funny how that works, but like it brings you back to the present moment. And sometimes we often like when our stress levels are the highest, it's when we have anxiety or we're anxious over what might happen. Right. Or we're stressed or pissed off of like what just what happened in the past, like five minutes ago, when in reality, like you can't do anything about that. Like just try to stay focused on the present moment as much as you can. And, um, this is a little kumbaya-ish and I don't think it's off topic, but it really, it's just getting you to understand that your mindset is what helps control everything in your body. You know, and RPR, this is the way I look at it, is just a tool that allows you to get center. It allows you to stay present focused, right? And because a psychologist will do this too, is like if you, if, like if you have somebody that's like um, anxious or they have anxiety, like a lot of psychologists will tell them, breathe and feel your feet, right? Breathe deep and feel your feet. Because what does feeling your feet do? That you get grounded. When you're grounded, like you're in the present moment. And then the other, sometimes they might do this, is like they'll tell you to rub your arms and rub your face and do all that stuff. What is that? That's just increasing your sense of feel. It's effort and input, effort input, right? It's just sensory feedback. Because another thing that starts to happen is when you get anxious and, you, and you've, your mind starts spinning out of control, your visual feel is gonna narrow and then you lose your sense of feel. You know, when a human beings, like we've got to have sensory input because then that's going to coordinate our movement. So RPR is really a massive sensory input driver if you break it down from a neural standpoint. Um, and I think it allows us to stay present focused. So that's why breathing is part of it too. You're, uh, so you're telling me I probably shouldn't have uh, been playing around with this initially when I was running mass one for the second time, right? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Talk about mass one. Like, that's a, that's a massive stressor. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it was – I had a training partner the second time I did it. And, like, the, the first time I didn't really, like, keep track of volumes. And then I, you know, see Pat talking about tracking volumes. And I was like, I want to break 60K on that phase two. Uh, and I broke it on the second to last workout. I, I was just a wreck the rest of the program though. Like it, that workout just ended me. <laughs> so. I felt, I felt like my quads were going to rip off. <laughs> like, I think I was in phase two or phase. I was like, there's no way I can, I way I can continue to do this. Yeah. I don't was, know how it's possible. Like, 
Well, granted, I have two kids too, so those are other stressors. But it's oh just- yeah, dude, I, I the only reason I was able to do it was it was like last summer was a time in my life where I had minimal work, like min- I live by myself, single, had my own apartment. Like I, it, the conditions were perfect to do it. Otherwise, like I would have never finished it. It was yeah. it was bad. <laughs> so. That's it's not nor it's not a my my training is not like that. <laughs> no. Well, and, and so, and that's the thing, you know, like that was when I kind of, I had been utilizing it like a month before and I was like, Oh, this is great. And then as time went on, like I was still using it while I was doing mass, but I mean, you're just getting bludgeoned every day so hard. I don't think it, you know what I'm saying? It's like one of those things like you're just talking about, like it was impossible mm-hmm. at some point to center everything back in and, and actually feel like something was, you know, anything was going to help you, you know? Well, I mean, the other thing in mass too, is you're completely getting sagittalized. Like that, they, that's yeah. all you're doing. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So you're limiting your sense of feel even more. The variability is gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, no, that's, that's, um, that's really interesting stuff on RPR. And I, I, I'm glad you put it that way. That even gave me some perspective on why I might've been thinking that way for myself. So um, no, I appreciate that. The other quick hitters I wanted to ask you about, um, what the one was you can which joe told me to ask you about and i looked it up i'm like what is this so i really kind of wanted you to kind of just take me into your thoughts on that and what you what you know about it so i i know a good amount on it like i've um i've used you can since 2010 2009 2009 i think is the first time it was a brand new company and in and for us it's right in our backyard in Wood, woodbridge connecticut and the way i got it exposed to it is one of our hockey coaches gave me the packet because they were at their hockey coaches convention and they said, here's the packet. They told me to give it to our strength coach. And so here it is. And so I got on the phone with them. They kind of talked me through their science and talked me through everything. And basically their carbohydrate is a, uh, it's a, it's, they call it super starch and it's a different type of starch. Cause we know when we ever take, we stick a starch, it creates an insulin response. This kind of starch creates a min- has a minimal impact on insulin. So therefore, if it has a minimal impact on insulin, it allows, us our, allows our blood sugar to stay that much more stable, right? Because what starts to happen is if we take in a starch, our insulin is going to go up, and then our blood, blood glucose is going to go down, and then we have to take more sugar or more of a starch in, and we're going to get this kind of bow- bouncing and yo-yo type effect, which is something that we want to avoid when we're competing right? When we're exercising, right? We want to maintain a stable blood sugar and that's going to do a lot of things. Number one, it's going to keep, allow us to keep our focus and keep our energy and keep our, um, our, our, our mind on the task at hand. Um, but the second thing that is really important, it's, it's going to allow us to utilize fat as a fuel source. And if we can better utilize fat as a fuel source, because when our blood sugar is stable, we can, we can use glucagon to break down fat. Like, we can, we can break down fat. We can go through lipolysis, all those types of things. Um, but we're going to be able to yield so much more energy from, from the breakdown of fat than we are to rely on stored glu- uh, glycogen. And if we're utilizing fat more as a fuel source to create ATP, then we can spare that glycogen for when we need it the most, which may be for hockey interns, it's might be the third period or the second day of a back-to-back game. You know, And so it kind of matched how we wanted to train, which is really to enhance the, their, their aerobic energy system um, to be able to perform work. And so it's a nutritional product that kind of helps, helps, us, helps us from a physiology standpoint from how we train too. Because when we train, we want to maximize our aerobic system, right? We want to maximize mitochondria. We want to make sure that we can create a ton of energy via um, aerobic means so that we can spare glycolysis as much as we can as we can spare glycogen as much as we can and we need it when we need when we, when we need it so you is a really good product we've used it for years on years um the, the way we introduced it is we said all right you use this for three days in a row before we train and then you're not going to use it for the next three days that we train and you tell me the feedback that you feel and it was instantaneous they're like oh my god they're like when we took it like we hardly we didn't get tired at all like they were just accumulate. They were able to accumulate so much more work. That is, it, it crazy. is crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> and so like, it's different, right? Because it's not a Gatorade, right? And they don't market a ton. And, and it's, it's, they've got a really feel good story. The like, story was interesting. Yeah. With the kid that couldn't, yeah. couldn't break down. What was it? Uh, glycogen. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Glycogen stories. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And so, 
and, and his dad, the owner is actually my son's orthopedic, um, um, orthodontist too. Oh, cool. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's really good family, really good people that run the business. Um, the product is exceptional. Like if you really look into the science of it, it's, it, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, and like it, it's, it's the anti Gatorade, right? And so I don't know if, if you're going to send this to Gatorade at all, but like, like I, I'm not a, <laughs> it's one of our Gator- sponsors actually. Yeah. How dare you? yeah. <laughs> like Gatorade is just straight sugar. Right. And so the way I try to tell our student athletes is like, listen, if we're going to invest in something, let's invest in something that's actually going to make you better. Like if you want to go have sugar, go have sugar. Like I'm, I'm that's something we're not going to invest in. Um, this is a performance um, product that can really help you. You know, and you've got to get past the starchiness and sometimes the taste of it because um, it's it, they expect it to taste like a milkshake or they expect it to taste like like super sweet. And it's not super sweet. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to help your performance. Can you get it as a bar or a drink or both? So when we first started, all they had was was shakes and powder. And okay. so now they've they now they have bars, which are really good. They have vegan options. Um they make electrolytes, which are really good too. It's a little bit higher in magnesium than some other products too, which is nice. Um, but I think the best thing that they do, they, they have a plain super starch. Um, and so what I've told some of our students, just mix the electrolytes into the starch so it gives you the flavor. So it's yeah. a little bit less chalky than if you've had a flavored product. This is cool, man. So it's, it sounds to me like, you know, we talked about RPR, Quadrosystem, all this stuff. It sounds like you are and I love the mindset you're enlarging the solution space for both an athlete's mind and body to accomplish a task. Like there's a ton of variability being put in here. Like even on like a physiological level with what you're talking about with like these super starches being able to, to use fat and whatnot. That's a good way to put it. I don't think like, I, I just think it's all like connected, right? Like, yeah, it's, totally. It's the old kind of like, you know, I'm, and I'm Indian and Asian. And so like, I think that's the way, like I was taught to think is like, everything is connected. Like whatever lives in your mind lives in your body and vice versa. And, um, it's different than a Western approach is, which is very reductionist and it breaks everything down. Like it's very holistic. Um, my kind of philosophy and thought process is very holistic. And, and I try to get our student athletes and the people that I'm fortunate to work with to get them to understand like, Hey, listen, you know, how you think is going to impact how you feel. Right. And so you better be aware of that. Be aware of how you think, because if you're negative and you're pissed off at the world, like it, don't expect to have a great training session, you know, or wonder why your sleep sucks. <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's all interrelated or, or you worry about the, the depth of your relationships. Like it matters. Like, you know, like it's so I always go after trying to make better human beings. And, and as yeah. a result, we'll probably make better athletes. Yeah. I, I love that you said that too. I, I never thought about the cultural difference from like, you know, the culture I grew up in and like the culture you grew up in, for example, like I feel like in the last few years, I've really started to shift towards a lot of the stuff you're talking about from a global perspective, but I have to fight like what I grew up knowing every day, like knowing that, Oh, there's gotta be a direct answer to this that correlates specifically to what I'm doing. And, and uh, it's, it's crazy to even think that like, you know, you, you have a totally different mindset. That's just so much more powerful. Yeah. Thank you. But it is, yeah. is sometimes like, I don't need an answer. Like if I know it works and if it helps and it helps, like let's do it, you know, yeah. and it's not going to cause harm. Like that's why, like when I was first shown RPRs, cause they'll call be activated. Then I was like, Oh my God, like, we got to do this right now. Like, like right now, like we got to start implementing it. We got to try it. We'll see if it works. And and if it doesn't work, it's, it doesn't fine. Like, like same thing with PRI. Like, like I've gone down those rabbit holes and I've tried implementing in the team setting and it's really hard to, and if somebody's figured out how to do it in a team setting, please let me know. But in reality, like it's, it's a good thing for me to know. It gives me a different lens to be able to look at movement and in individual cases, I can help athletes who might, who might need some of those interventions and some of those exercises. But, um, it's, it's like, that's really like I, anything that I learn and that I see, I'll try, you know, and I don't need, and I'll, I'll kind of figure out the answers as I go. Whereas some people be like, they won't implement anything until they know all the answers. I'm like, you're just going to freaking waste time. Like, you're never, you're never going to, you're never going to get to that point. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Just try it. <laughs> just try it. Like, don't be afraid to try it. Like I had, remember, like I, this is one that I try to teach my interns this all the time. Like if you think of something, all right, then try it, go do it. You know, like 
I remember one of mine, uh, one of my interns, assistants, he's at Monmouth now, Jamie. Um, he would have all these thoughts. And I'm like, dude, like, you need to do it. Like, stop thinking about it without doing it. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, go do, go do research if that's what you're going to do. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to be a coach, then you've got to, if you think about something, and then, then go figure it out. Put it down on paper and make it happen. Yeah, and that's something I think I've, again, that's another thing I've started doing a lot more is just playing around with things and, and in the weight room or sprinting has been a huge one for me recently. Like, I've just really gone deep down that rabbit hole and it's been awesome. Um, but I think sometimes it's, and this is something I knew, this is kind of, I think, the last hurdle for me and like, this holistic mindset, not giving a shit like about the rigid constructs of people that I might be around that might be peers or, or superiors or anything like that, you know? Cause I mean, uh, you know, in the past, like I've kind of tended to just think reductionist do what they tell me to do and stay in my box. And now that I'm outside of that box, I'm happy to be out there, but I'm also tentative sometimes to share that with people, you know, or to push it forward. And I think that's kind of the last step for me. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a, you know, it takes a leap of faith a little bit and it takes some um, humility and it takes some, some understanding of where you are. And sometimes, sometimes you're in a system where you need to be able to stay in the box, you know, and maybe you're not, your growth isn't fostered, which is unfortunate. Um, but sometimes those kind of situations do arise. And I always say that you can learn something in every single situation. You can learn how to do something. You can learn how not to do something. And but as long as you have that kind of approach and that mindset, then I think that will carry you forward. And then when, when you get into your own situation or you get into the optimal environment where you can really thrive, then it's going to come out in a really good way. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. Uh, Rajesh, this has been really awesome, man. Thank you. I know that it's getting late for you. So I'll just leave with one, one last question. I know you've spent, you know, a while doing this, you've established something really special at Quinnipiac from everything I've heard from a lot of people that I've worked with that previously worked with you. I know you have a big coaching tree uh, out there, especially on the East Coast. And I just wondered if you had any kind of words of general words of advice for um, any young strength and conditioning coaches looking to kind of continue to make their mark and, and push forward and make a career for themselves. Yeah, um, never stop learning. Like that's probably the number one thing. And I, and I think on my own career path, there was a time where I stopped learning because I, I legitimately thought I knew it all. And then I was sadly mistaken. Like I, I, I was 24 <laughs> years old. I was a full-time strength coach, had a website, like selling products. I was in perform better. And then I remember I got invited, Jeff Oliver and I got invited to go to Mike Boyle's functional strength coach one in 2005. And he was talking about Thomas Myers, fascia, anatomy trains, talking about Porterfield and DeRosa, Stuart McGill, like all this stuff. And I'm like, holy shit. Like this guy's like 40 something at that time, 40 something years old. And and he's still learning. Like, I have no idea what he's talking about right now. Like, I need to keep learning. And so that kind of got me back in the right track and, and realized, like, you know what? I don't know it all. And my kind of mission is, is to really help the people that I've come in contact with and be, realize that they can become better versions of themselves. And so strength conditioning just happens to be in my avenue. So um, for me to be able to foster that kind of growth, I need to learn myself. And so that's probably the best piece of advice I can give is, is, is never stop learning. And to be able to have an attitude where you, want to, you never want to stop learning, it's a growth mindset. But really, you've got to be humble and realize what you do know and what you don't know. You know, and when you're, I actually just put an Instagram post on this, but like if you're, um, if you're humble, you'll always find ways to improve. And it's really, it's, it's, it's fighting against complacency because the moment you get complacent, the moment you think you know it all, the moment you're going to stop learning, the moment your impact is going to slow down. So really just stay humble and, and, and always keep learning. I love that. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate that. I need to hear that just as much as anybody else. So, so thank you for that. And um, finally, anything you want to plug? I know you just have put out a new website and everything like that. So where can the people find you? Uh, anything, anything you want to promote, have at it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's been a labor of love. Like uh, I used to have a website a long time ago um, and couldn't keep it up. And so now it's only a week old now. So launched coachbpatel.com. Um, it's kind of like an online kind of portfolio of everything that I've done, like podcasts that have been on articles. Um, I'll put some blogs up there to try to deliver some content. And um, I've got a webinar up there right now, actually on RPR and Aldoa in a team setting. 
Um, so feel free, you can watch that if you've got 37 minutes of time. Um, but we'll put some other webinars out there too, um, offer services, consult, um, help write programs, um, speak whenever that's available for clinics and things like that. But um, really, I think that's one thing I've started to get into a little bit more is it's just really trying to consult. And just like you asked that question about helping young coaches. Um, and obviously, this is kind of promoting my services here. But like, I think when you go to a conference, like you can spend three to $500 on, you know, learning from the speakers and stuff like that. But in reality, the time that you really learn is when you get to hang out with the speakers like one-on-one -on -one or like in small groups, like maybe afterwards or at a social. Um, the way I'm starting to look at consulting and helping like other young coaches and other coaches is it's a way to kind of accelerate that growth and in, in that development. You know, like if, even for you for this, like we're just talking quadrants for a little bit, like maybe that's a different piece of the uh, different angle that I gave you, you know, and it just trying to help your growth and, and help your development and anybody else who's listening to this. But I think that's a big thing that I can kind of, kind of offer and help. And I've been in this field for a long time and, and I don't ever plan on stop or stop learning, but that's a big thing. And so feel free, check out the website. And then um, that has all my social handles on there as well. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll tell Sean I'm firing him. I'll, I'll bring you on board. So, <laughs> right. I know. He'd love that. <laughs> but no, Sean, thank you. We were going, going good. I, Sean wouldn't be there without me. Yeah. Well, without my parents, but like he might be slaving away at some, um, some, some newspaper. Yeah. It was so funny enough, I was a journalism major as well and did two years of uh, radio broadcasting out of school. No so. way. So we, that, we have that in common for sure. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's when you do that, you're just guaranteed to be successful at this. I don't know. I know, right? Burgess, <laughs> hey, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the time and uh, definitely going to stay in touch with you. That was really informative and I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. <laughs>